ahead and admit that you were more nervous, more uptight, more riddled with suspense during the NHL's draft lottery last night than you were at any single point of the four games that the Penguins actually played against the Montreal Canadiens in their recent elimination. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. You can get all of our downloads automatically on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Anchor, everywhere that you can find podcasts. We appreciate if you set us to auto-downloads. And hey, you know what? Leave a like a happy review or something. That also helps. The Rangers won this lottery. And if it sounds by my intonation there like I wasn't all that wild about there, I'm not. I, New York, you know, they get enough in the in the non-cap league in baseball. You hate to see them succeed in anything. The fact of the matter is the Rangers have done a lot of things right in recent years. And to an extent, they earned this. Not as much as the Red Wings should have. That's another debate for another day, the the goofy way that the NHL conducted the first phase of this draft lottery. But the Rangers got Alexi Lafreniere, and he's going to be added to Capo Caco, who was the second overall pick in the draft last year in Vancouver, on top of the tremendous and aggressive signing of Artemi Panarin, who made it onto my heart trophy ballot, had a spectacular year at Madison Square Garden, Mika Zibanejad, and they ended up signing, you'll recall, Chris Kreider to an extension right when it looked like they were trying to sell, sell, sell at the deadline, and they were like, no, 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 we're going to keep him. They're not complete. The Rangers aren't, but they're going to be a threat. They're going to have a core, maybe the core, in the Metro Division for years to come. From the Penguins' perspective, what they're left with is the 15th overall pick. Now, they have a week to determine and make known whether or not they're going to keep that 15th overall pick or whether they'll defer to next year. I have no doubt whatsoever that Jim Rutherford will keep that pick and the Penguins will choose 15th overall. And what's considered to be a a, a decent first round as far as depth, the Penguins are going to find somebody there that they really like. And that's okay, too. Uh, they need young players. They need young legs. And they need to give them a chance. And the sooner that that first-round pick makes it to Pittsburgh, the better. The sooner that first-round pick makes it into the organization, into the system, the better. Because then, in turn, the sooner that player can get to Pittsburgh and accompany Sidney Crosby. There is still a window. There's a window effect in place. What the Penguins have to do is get as many capable 
young players into the Pittsburgh fold competitively with a real chance as possible. It's not ideal. It's not a great situation. I'm I'm not going to lie here and pretend that Jim Rutherford and Mike Sullivan were holding down the next great generation of Penguins whenever they instead suited up Patrick Marlowe, Connor Sherry, and other players, Jack Johnson, uh, Justin Schultz, whoever. That's not the case. The Wilkes-Barre-Scranton team was not exactly loaded this past season. The juniors, the European ranks, we saw at development camp, there was nobody who just leaped off the ice where you said, wow, that guy's got to make the team. I mean, the closest they came were the top two picks in last year's draft, Samuel Poulin and Nathan Legare. Those two wingers and the NHL builds, meaning the physiques that they already have, bode very well for their ability to make an impact sooner rather than later. Well, you'll recall Rutherford and Sullivan and others in the Penguins organization in last training camp weren't exactly dismissing the idea that those guys could have hung around. I didn't believe it for a second, but the fact that they went public with the notion, I thought meant something. And how they feel about these two kids. Well, they came out of the draft. This pick, the 15th overall pick, will be that much higher. And that player, when they arrive into the next training camp, they need to get a shot too. Here's how I see this. If you look at the Penguins' forward lines in their defensemen and you break it down like a, I don't know, like a chart, and you say, we know that Sidney Crosby will play with Jason Zucker and blank, and Evgeny Malkin will play with Jake Gensel and Brian Rust, and the third line, I don't know, you can leave the whole thing blank. Fourth line, you know, Teddy Bluger, Brandon Tanev. Find yourself some blank spots. Find yourself some spots that are at least question marks. And then after you make that chart, make even more of those guys' question marks and tell yourself, here is where I could as a GM, as a coach, find a way to get younger legs into this lineup. They don't need to be great players. They don't need to be stars. I think that's a a Pittsburgh stigma that we think that every time a young player comes along, they have to be uh, either some offensive wizard or they have to be uh, the next great two-way forward, somebody super diligent. They don't have to be either of those things. In this case, with these Penguins, they need to get younger, fresher, faster. I'm going to rewind you back to October and November of what, believe it or not, is still the current season. And think about some of the players that Sullivan was sending over the boards when the Penguins had all those injuries. And think about how effectively those players, no matter who they were, 
coming up from Wilkes-Barre. Uh, some no-names, some journeymen. Thomas DePauli, Stefan Nason. Oh, I can't even remember some of these guys' names. There were so many of them that were, that were just kind of rolling through there for a while. But they listened to him, and they went out there, and they were just flying around, and Sullivan's system was applied. And then from there, depending on who was healthy at the time, Sid or Gino or whoever would do their thing because the rest of the team was making its contribution collectively by adhering to the system, by applying the system. It was about little more than attaching fresh legs to the system. Is this a solution, you know, to get them back to the Stanley Cup? No. Ultimately, you're going to have to have those players have the skill level of a Poulin or a Legare. They have to be able to do the next thing. But there's no question, there's no doubt whatsoever after what we just witnessed against Montreal that the Penguins have to find a way to get younger, and they have to do that not eventually, not gradually. They have to do it right away with what's tantamount to an open tryout training camp. There needs to be spots that are available. I've mentioned the forwards, but I'll throw in the defensemen too because Justin Schultz is going to walk as an unrestricted free agent. I don't know what's going to happen with Jack Johnson and buy out three more years on his deal. I don't know, but I do know that Pierre-Olivier Joseph is a player that Tom Vellucci told our Taylor Haas easily could have been in Pittsburgh as early as last Christmas with how well he had performed down in Wilkes-Barre. He's left-handed, he's really fast, he's kind of skinny and everything, but he plays a physical enough game of the Sullivan definition that he could and should get a chance. Yuso Ricola absolutely should be getting a chance. These are the things that have to happen, and they have to happen now. And that includes holding on to that draft pick. When we come back, a little bit of football. are in training camp. Did you know that? I don't think anybody knows that. But it's the truth. They've been at Heinz Field. Today is technically day 12 of their camp. And if it seems like that hasn't gotten a whole lot of attention, well, in addition to the Penguins having made their cameo appearance in the playoffs and the Pirates making headlines for all the wrong reasons, the Steelers haven't yet been allowed by the NFL to open their camp to media. That's going to change on August 17th whenever padded practices begin. Man, am I looking forward to that. I'm, I'm looking forward to covering this whole season. I think this is going to be a terrific team. I'm not saying that as some Pollyanna or in some hopeful way. I'm saying that as someone who watched that defense last year and who looks at this offense and wonders why the expectations still seem to be so modest for it. Think about this for a second. Look, I was there too. I saw why that offense ranked where it did 
in the NFL. In the bottom two or three in almost every category across the table. Most of it was on the quarterback. Well, that position's getting just a slight upgrade this fall. By all accounts, Ben Roethlisberger's not just healthy, but he's throwing the ball, at least according to Deontay Johnson, harder than he did last year in Latrobe. We've seen him putting up bombs. We've seen him throwing tight spirals. Uh, I'm sure some of that video is selected very carefully. You know, I wouldn't be putting out a, a package of mediocre passes if I were the Steelers either. But again, next week, reporters like me and Dale Lawley and others will be there to watch with our own eyes. I really don't think people are lying about this. I think Ben is fine. And I also look around at the rest of that offense and ask myself, what are the issues? What are the concerns? What are the worries? What is it that would hold this team down to just being average when it comes to producing offense. I don't get that. Look at those wide receivers. Look at the upside. Never mind who's actually there. Never mind that Juju Smith-Schuster is entering a contract year. Never mind that uh, Deontay had the best year out of any of them last year and could be poised for a real breakout. He has Ben's favorite receiver written all over him. James Washington is an impact player. Chase Claypool might get on the field. I didn't think he would. And then Ike Hilliard, the new wide receivers coach, was saying the other day that he felt that he's going to have a really good chance to be out there and get significant snaps. That's great. Eric Ebron is around now as a tight end. He and Vance McDonald take the field together. James Conner, healthy, the other running back options, even if and when James goes down, all of that's in place. Their expectations have nothing to do with last year, and they're smart to look at it that way. They're smart to look back at last year and on, on one hand say, look, you know, we were terrible. I mean, he, listen to what David DeCastro had to say about this on a Zoom call with us yesterday. I don't know, man. Last year sucked. I kind of already forgot about it. It was not fun to play, as you know, as an offense. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty terrible. Um, just, just yeah, you kind of you know lose confidence and it just kind of snowballs and you just find ways to lose games. Can't win them when your defense is getting five turnovers. Yeah, it was a it's pretty 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 tough year. Um, you know, it falls on everybody. You know, that's why it's a team sport. You know, you can't you can't lose that confidence and you gotta. Got to be better, but yeah, hopefully we can uh, get a better attitude this year, and hopefully we can stay healthy. And that's telling it like it is. That's who Dave has become. <laughs> it took him a while, considering where he was as a rookie when he was giving us all these one-word, two-word answers to be saying stuff like that. Um, it's quite the metamorphosis. But he's right. They weren't. I mean, it was just a joke. I mean, their defense was out there getting them multiple turnovers every game, fantastic field position, and they couldn't even scrounge field goals out of it. I'm sure it had to be frustrating for all of them, regardless of whether or not they knew why it was going on. Regardless of whether or not they knew that they had a fourth-string QB from Samford University back there in the huddle. They have to have a higher bar. And I think it's fair for the rest of us, to have a higher bar for them too. 
Let's presume that the defense is, I mean, it's asking a lot. They had 38 takeaways last year. That's not going to happen again. There's just way too much luck involved in an oblong ball bouncing your way that often. But let's say it's still a pretty high and healthy number. And let's say that even if they don't get the actual takeaways, the defense is still consistently disrupting and still getting uh, its collective hands on the football. That'll make an impact all by itself, not least of which is field position. If your expectation for the defense is that high, why should the offense just move from, I don't know, from 29 or 30 up to like 20 or something? That doesn't make sense to me. Really, where are your shortcomings? Where are your worries, your concerns? Is it the offensive line itself? Maybe, maybe, but really? Because if we're talking about the offensive line, we're really only talking about right tackle. And that's the battle, of course, between Zach Banner and Chooks Okorafor. To me, if one of those guys happens to fall on his face, and I'm not sure that one or both will, the other one's going to be there. They don't have just one option there. They're not holding their breath and hoping for one of them to rise up. They've both spent time at the position. What else? Matt Filer moving into left guard to take Ramon Foster's place? No, we've seen Filer do that. We saw Filer go from that very spot against Aaron Donald last year at Heinz Field and shut him down. He had help. But he shut him down. Where are the worries? Is it Ben getting hurt? Because if you're worried about Ben getting hurt, then you're worried about the whole season. You're worried about a meteor hitting the earth, too. I mean, it's if Ben gets hurt, everything that we discuss is over. We just watched that in 2019. So to me, I don't even know what the point is of bringing that up. Ben gets hurt, he gets hurt. Season's over. And that's true whether or not they went out and signed some prominent name backup or not. The season's over. The playbook is written by and for Ben Roethlisberger. There's no season without him. So just move past that as a worry and ask yourself if Ben is healthy and if he's playing. What is the major concern? I don't understand it. Raise the bar a little bit. It's okay. This is going to be a very, very good football team. And I think it should be that on both sides of the ball. When we come back, some baseball, or at least as much baseball as we can discuss while the Pirates are forced to be on hiatus. It's shut them down now going into a second week. And that, of course, kept the Pirates from flying out to St. Louis. It also kept me from flying out to St. Louis for what would have been 
a three-game series last night, tonight, and tomorrow. So the Pirates are back in action Thursday in Cincinnati, four games set out there. Maybe, maybe something of a reset button at hand as well. I know the options that Ben Charrington has in the Neil Huntington, Kyle Stark minor league system, which I really, I'm probably going to be calling it that for a couple of years. The options that he has down there are limited isn't the right word. Barren is more like it. Scorched earth. But it's not nothing. It's not nothing. And with the Pirates being 3-13, and with the Pirates missing so, so, so many players, 11 now if you count Joe Musgrove into that, with Musgrove having missed his Sunday start to an ankle injury, with 11 players out and the record that they have, there's literally nothing to play for on a collective basis. So one thing I'd encourage the Pirates to do, I really hope that they do this, is to use this time to see some younger guys. That's easier said than done, and I, I appreciate the roster manipulation that has to go on as it relates to service time. Um, It's easy to criticize baseball teams. It happens all over baseball whenever they do this. But the fact is, once you bring up a player to the majors, their clock starts ticking, and you only get to keep their rights, well, only, it's more than any other sport, for six years before they can leave through free agency. For a team like the Pirates, who aren't going to be able to in this economic system, no matter how much or how little you're able to extract from Bob Nutting's wallet, ever going to be able to spend aggressively on free agents. That service time and that clock does matter. But I'd like to find out more about certain players. One of them, and probably the the chief among them, is Kibrian Hayes. Uh, if you don't know this, going back to the summer camp that the Pirates had at PNC Park, Hayes wasn't able to participate because of an early COVID-19 positive test. He was shut down, and then after that, he had some swing issues, hitting issues that he had begun working on in the initial spring training in Bradenton with Rick Eckstein, a hitting coach, and they wanted him to continue that work, so they sent him to the Altoona Satellite Camp when the season started. Now, could they have kept him up? Sure. Did the service time and the clock have something to do? I think it actually had more to do with that than anything, his going back to Altoona. But the COVID-19, the him missing all of camp, bought everybody a very nice excuse to send him back down. And then on top of that, the third baseman who he would have been supplanting jumped to the top of the major leagues in home runs, that being Colin Moran with those five early shots of his. So everything kind of coincided nicely for Hayes to go down. He only needed to stay, according to some counts, 
in the minors or out of the majors, more precisely, for about a week in order for the Pirates to retain a full additional year of service time. Don't ask. Don't ask to get into these details. Just take my word for it. And that's up. That time is up. I wouldn't mind seeing Cabrian Hayes join the Pirates Thursday in Cincinnati. I wouldn't mind seeing him on the field. Let's see him start playing. Let's see him start getting a look. This team, much like the Penguins that I was discussing earlier in this program, oh, it doesn't it doesn't need to get younger to contend. It needs to get younger to survive. It needs to get younger to start coming up with some sort of firmer direction for the franchise. Whatever concept there might have been, however small, about being competitive or even contending in 2020 was blown up almost instantly. And then the injuries only multiplied that. But imagine how uplifting it would be, and not just in the intangible sense, but in the real sense, if the Pirates managed over these final 40-plus games of this shortened season to uncover a young player or two who could make a real impact for them in 2021 and beyond. It'd be so much different than, for example, the somewhat semi-pseudo, not really uplifting emergence of Eric Gonzalez, if you will. Like, Eric Gonzalez is hitting the cover off the ball, and he's always been an above-average defender. And he has that look. He has that look of, like, uh, that athletic specimen that you want in a special baseball player. But he's not a kid. If, if, you're, if you get something out of Eric Gonzalez, it's just going to be his trade bait. And, and that's nice, too. You want to be able to send someone like that somewhere, and if he does really well, get a couple of prospects back from him that work with your age group. But way more uplifting, especially after the excruciating loss of Nick Birdie, who was going to be one of these guys, would be to have a couple of kids come along. Kind of the way we saw last year with Brian Reynolds and Kevin Newman. For that matter, it wouldn't be bad to have Reynolds and Newman come around as well, as something of a side note. But let's see. Let's see Hayes up here. Let's see Hayes continue some of those line drives that he was hitting in Bradenton. Let's see that three-time, three-time minor league gold glove winner at third base. Let's see a little bit of fun. Let's see a little bit of energy. Let's see something of the future. Not for us. I'm not getting into that sappy, uh, you know, you want to make the fans feel hope or whatever stuff. I'm just talking about for the Pirates. I'm going to throw out another name. Blake Cedarland. If that rings a bell, you probably heard or read quite a bit about him and what he was doing in Bradenton. This is the... Dude with a long, blonde mane who was taking the mound with a little bit of an attitude and a lot of fastball. Popping the ball into the mitt easily, effortlessly, 
at 100 miles an hour with a wipeout slider. Wasn't always 100% sure based on a couple of times that I got to lay eyes on him down there of where it was going. But he wasn't wild either. He just wasn't precise. Look at the state of this bullpen right now. That's not the reason to bring up someone who's a prospect, but service time and manipulation of service time isn't nearly the issue for relief pitchers that it is for starters and definitely what it is for position players. You want these guys to pitch. I want to see Blake Cedarland pitch. I want to see whatever starters for that matter, happened to be in the Altoona Satellite Camp. Uh, James Marvel excited absolutely nobody when he came up last September. He was the Pirates Minor League Pitcher of the Year. And then, almost almost funny, but not quite, he ends up getting released right after that. Only the Pirates released their Minor League Pitcher of the Year in the same year that they pass out the award. Ben Charrington thought enough of him to bring him back into the system. Let's see guys who are stretched out. Let's see guys who at least have some kind of potential, some kind of hope. No more of this Miguel Del Pozo nonsense. If they're going to take it on the chin, if they're going to keep getting crushed like this, at least do it with players who have something to gain from this system. Remember, remember that this year, unlike any other year, those players in Altoona are not playing real baseball games. They're engaging in some scrimmages and some baseball activities, but as Derek Shelton was telling us just the other day, because of all the injuries in Pittsburgh, even they can't cobble together enough players to have real games. So all of those youngsters are losing a precious year of development. Stay ahead of that curve. Keep these prospects involved. Get them to Pittsburgh. Deal with the implications of the service time and the clock at some point down the road. Get them up here. Get them playing. Get them ideally feeling good about themselves. Just a thought. Just a thought. Again, I'm not going to sit here and play GM here with you as it what it would mean in 2025 or whatever if Blake Cedarland is up for the Cincinnati series. I'm just saying in general, that's who and what I think would be best for the Pirates to put out there right now. Not just the same old guys. There's not much to be gained from that, to say the least. Coming up today at 11 o'clock, it'll be the Tuesday Pirates pod on this baseball note with Alex Stone and Noah Hiles. Thanks so much for listening to this one. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.